EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS Garage. Easy on the phone there, want to know if uh, you can handle that call as well. Just confirming you are checking the patient. Yeah, I'm at 22, not seeing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EMS Garage. It's the weekly podcast about pretty much nothing. And I'm your host, Chris Montera. We're live on Vocal tonight, and we're also coming to you in your headset. On your iPod, your Nano, your Zoom, your whatever you want to be listening to. You can even listen to us on the internets, on the inner tubes, as it were. I'm Chris Montero, your host of The Madness, and uh, coming to you live from nearly the top of the world, uh, Vail, Colorado. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank everybody that's been listening, and I have our giveaway coming up in a minute, but if you've been missing it, we've been giving away a ton of stuff. Um, oh, I should start the event so people could actually see what we're doing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start the event here on Vocal. Sorry about that, people. Uh, we're, we just started the show on Vocal, so hi, guys. Uh, if you've been listening to us uh, with the giveaway over the past few weeks, we've been doing a giveaway for Audible, um, also for um, Boingo, and for Christmas, we have one and only one. I'm going to dig it out of the box of stuff under my desk. It's sitting here in my hot little hands. Monopoly, EMS Monopoly. It's awesome. So if you'd like to win that EMS Monopoly, you need to email us. I've only had one entry so far, and it is just a giveaway. It's not a contest. All you have to do is send me an email saying, I want EMS Monopoly, and we'll throw you into the hat of things to get off of my desk. Um, yeah, guys, please don't uh, flip through those. Um, uh, it's going to mess with the audio that people are listening to, so just leave it on the, on the multi-shot there. Um, otherwise, we start getting complaints from the vocal crowd saying, oh, we can't hear you. It's annoying. Anyway, uh, joining me tonight is Dr. Jeff Myers. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Perfect. Is it cold up there? Did you guys Did you guys get all that snow? It was like two feet lake effect, blah, blah, blah. Was that you guys? There was, there was about a four or five mile band that just totally... Uh, dropped about two and a half feet on a swath that went from the lake inward again about a four mile wide band um the whole traffic mess up that you guys probably heard about on national news was uh, due to a couple of tractor trailers that got um got stuck basically and they couldn't get them out because it was snowing too hard uh, literally a couple couple inches an hour it's really hard to keep up with that but where where i am i think i have about a foot that's about it oh, very cool 
Well, thanks for joining us tonight. We haven't had we haven't had snow where I'm at for a while, so I'm actually got green grass again, which is kind of weird. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll send you some. Uh, it's okay. I'm 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 sure we'll get some soon. Uh, they have some up on the ski area, so come ski. That's why I live where I live because it's nice. Uh, also joining us tonight, Doctor Bill Toon. Hello, sir. Hi, hi there. How are you? I'm good. We miss uh, seeing you on the vocal here. Where are you at, man? Well, uh, you know, I get tired with that. Uh... That EMS Educash, you know, that's so such a cerebral event before I come here. I'm usually spent, so I can't stay out late, you know. Are you saying we're not cerebral? I get tired, so. <laughs> so we're not cerebral? <laughs> well, okay, gotcha. it's no, different okay. here it's in a, the it's garage. A, it's different. It's a different crowd. It's, it's, it's flexing another part of my brain. <laughs> Great. But I'm looking forward to being here tonight, and thank you for having me. Hey, thanks, Dr. Toon. I appreciate it. Also joining us tonight from Des Moines, Iowa. Also known as Des Moines, uh, Matt Fultz. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you doing tonight, Chris? We're good, man. How have you been? I've been well. I'm just uh, working and uh, trying to get things set up for our new project we get going on here. So I know. Things pretty are going excited. Well. Pretty excited. Uh, yeah. So maybe yeah. we can plug that show here in a minute. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, also joining us all the way from New York City, the Bronx, the guy. Do you have like a East Coast slugger name? Like all the way, you know, from you know David Koenig. Don't you have like a? You should have like and in this corner, weighing in at one fifty-seven or whatever. The Dunkin' Donuts King. <laughs> <laughs> it's as close as it gets for me. Nice. He's glazed his opponents for every. No, oh, well, whatever. All right. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. <laughs> Also joining us, Mr. Scott Keir. Hello, sir. Mr. Montera, how you been, sir? I'm good. I'm very good. Feels, feels like I haven't talked to you in forever. I know, at least at least about a month. We've been kind of on a mini hiatus yeah, and then had a couple sense. weird shows. And So thanks for coming on. Also, and last but certainly not thanks least, hey, no problem, is join Russell, the hybrid medic. Russell, I don't know your last name. How sad is that? Uh, well, considering how for the first couple months you couldn't remember my first name, I'm not really insulted. Dude, you got to know it's me. I barely, I can, it takes me a few podcasts to get you in. So it, it, uh, it's my brain. And now that I've met that you and then I put the name to the face and blah, blah, blah. So Russell, tell us your last name. Russell Stein. Stein, that's right. Now I remember. Russell Stein. See, I knew it. Uh, so how have you been? <laughs> Um, pretty good. It's been a been a busy day here at uh, Memphis Fire Station Twenty Three, and I'm currently at work. So if I disappear, that's that, what's that's where I'm at. That's the best part about the garage, though, is we uh, we get to have people come on and and uh, while they're at work, which is fun. And sometimes we lose them, and sometimes we don't. So tonight, I wanted to talk about a story that I think it was either you, Russ, or Scott sent us, maybe. I don't remember who sent the exact Scott. Scott sent it. And it was the article in the New York Times and the New York Daily News about an ambulance that follows ambulances around the city hoping that people die. Okay, that's a little sensational, but really it's a it's an organ transplant ambulance and David actually got to got a chance to see that today. So David, uh let's not talk about the article specifically first, but tell us 
about the ambulance and its mission and things going on with that? Yeah, sure. Um, from an operational perspective, uh, which is the type of thing that I know I was interested in primarily, uh, it's a old ambulance that uh, was in the 911 service uh, for the Fire Department of New York. It, it was retired and brought out of retirement, for lack of a better term, to uh, serve as an uh, organ preservation unit. Um, it's staffed with two EMTs, uh, an emergency physician, and a organ donor family specialist. Uh, so it's a actual four-person team. Um, on board the actual ambulance, they have everything that you would have on a uh, ALS ambulance uh, with the addition of uh, a large amount of heparin. And uh, the physio control uh, Lucas device. Um, previously, it was thought that they were going to be using a bypass machine, but that turned out to be incorrect. It's actually the uh, physio control Lucas uh, chest compression system that they're using for any patients that they uh, transport. Um, the unit is basically based in the borough of Manhattan. Uh, they are not dispatched along with uh, the EMS ambulances. Um, in fact, for that matter, they're, they're really not dispatched at all, as I found out tonight. It's more of a uh, – they receive a automatic alert from the dispatch system uh, when there's a cardiac arrest in progress, and then they receive a second alert um, when there is a field termination. So – when they get the first alert, um, they're able to look up on the address. The uh, donor specialist looks up the address uh, while the crew starts driving there with a no lights, no siren response um, because the actual ambulance is already there working up, has no clue that uh, this other uh, vehicle um, is on its way into the area. Uh, the organ donor specialist looks up the address to see if the address uh, gets a hit on the organ donor database. Uh, if they do, great, they're going to get closer. Um, but they're not going to do anything until they get a, a termination, uh, a field termination uh, notice. Um, only then at that point would the uh, doctor and the specialist uh, enter the residence. Um, and even if the, the hit doesn't appear on the donor list, the, they can still enter the residence and ask to see a driver's license or a donor card. Um, if uh, the address doesn't have a hit on the uh, database, if there's no driver's license, if there's no donor card, okay, um, that's pretty much it. They're they're going to leave. They're going to you know give their condolences to the family and and they're going to leave. If the if, uh, person is actually an organ donor. Um, with, with a donor card, uh, the, the specialist is going to turn around and, you know, uh, interact with the grieving family regarding their now deceased uh, loved one's uh, wishes as far as organ donation, uh, while the doctor uh, double checks to make sure that the patient is actually deceased and uh, fits the criteria for organ donation. And right now, the only organs that they're looking to turn around and recover are kidneys. So if, in fact, uh, the family is, is okay with it and the doctor says this is a, a viable 
uh, organ donor. They are going to move the patient then to the ambulance, uh, set them up with the heparin and the Lucas machine, and transport them directly to Bellevue where the actual recovery surgery is going to take place. The recovery surgery, contrary to popular belief, is not taking place in the back of the ambulance. <laughs> and that's, that pretty much wraps it up from an operational perspective. Well, that, see, I, I guess from the article, I took it to mean that it was kind of following behind and, and it was closer than, right, than yeah. what you made it out to be. Well, why the decision, though, to go with the Lucas device versus the BiPAP? Or um yeah no not bypass the the bypass machine bypass yeah um you know when when I was speaking to them about it they said that they were really looking for the less invasive uh, technology um you know there there are two EMTs uh, and uh, the the doctor is really going to be the one who's gonna you know he's gonna be dealing with the heparin and. Uh, so on and so forth, and to turn around and get the bypass, then that would probably add like another person or two to the team, and they already have four people in the ambulance uh, or or the the vehicle um, the uh, organ recovery vehicle so it's it's more of a it's more of a this is a pilot program, so let's see how it works with the with the mechanical circulation um, as opposed to I, I guess the more invasive bypass. Uh, other countries, from what I understand, other countries that have tried out these programs have used the bypass, and I, I guess with moderate success. Um, and I'm sure that if this program ever extends past the pilot, that, that that's definitely a viable option that they'll be looking, uh, you know, to upgrade the program to. Now, for me, this raises an ethical question, and. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like since they already have asked to be on an organ donation list, that's at least a good thing. But right, you know, no, I'm, is I'm, there, is I'm there completely an with you on the ethical. Yeah. I mean, so, is there yeah, an ethical I'm, question? I'm, I don't know. Well, you know, and and here's the thing: is that, and uh, you know, just to, just to put the disclaimer out there, I am for organ donation. I, I believe that, you know. Uh, organs definitely save lives. I am not against organ donation. Um, some people seem to think I'm against it, and I'm really not. Um, but it, it, I think that, that it definitely does raise an, an, an ethical issue uh, as far as it being the 911 system that is being called, okay, help, you know, my my grandmother is fallen and can't get up and you know, you're so you're being called in, and then for the 911 system to have a benefit as to whether or not uh, resuscitation is successful or not. Um, I, I think that that's where it, it becomes a question. Uh, it also becomes an issue when the person isn't an organ donor. Um, right now, the program is limited to people who have signed up. The, the different articles that you read, the, the New York Times said one thing, the Daily News said another. GEMS had an Associated Press report that said something else. So it, there were a myriad of different things, and, and no one really turned around and, and really got, okay, well, here's actually what it, what it actually is. There, there seemed to be a lot of confusion. And for this pilot program, Okay, they are only going to do people who have already signed the driver's license, registered as an organ donor, or have an organ donor card. In the future, this might, you know, if this program expands, this might become where 
they they're going to show up. The candidate is deemed as a viable organ donor, and the family rep would look to get consent from the family to uh, take their loved one for organ donation. So, but that's not what actually this program is doing right now. Right now, you know, it's 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 basically, um, you know, they're not they're not actually being dispatched. The unit does not speak to a 911 dispatcher or anyone in the call center. They receive it uh, via, you know, SSL text messages um, onto a BlackBerry. So, and, and the, the two EMTs who I, I spoke to who, who worked the unit, they're like, look, I had to turn around and I had to tell everybody at my station, do not contact me, do not talk to me, do not send me text messages, do not send me emails, especially when I'm working. Because otherwise it could be construed as, you know, oh, you were contacted by, you know, the, by, by the department to, to go ahead towards, you know, this patient. Um, so they're, they're, they're really playing it extremely by the book. Um, I have no reason to doubt that. Um, and I think that as far as that goes, that, that that's fine. That, you know, someone who, who turns around and, and previous, you know, to uh, – being deceased decides, listen, I want to turn around and I want to, you know, give the gift of my organs and they, they sign up and they register and they um, sign the driver's license and, and get a donor card. I, I think that to afford them the opportunity to actually be able to fulfill that gift is, is a great thing. I think, I think that that's very powerful. But, you know, as the New York Times article points out, you know, there are something like uh, 7,000, 8,000 people on the list uh, for organs in, in New York State, and there were only like 285 donors in, in the last year. Um, organ donation as a whole is not is it, the, the numbers are very low in New York. Um, from what I understand, they're higher in other states. So it's 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 sort of like looking for a needle in a haystack uh, for these guys. Right. You know, I, I guess it's for me. It's nice to hear that it's not as grim as it was made out to be in in, right. in the first article that I read. So that that's good. Um, I think they're taking a, a positive approach with it because I, you know, I, I can see the downside that over time EMS has changed and we have stopped taking people from the house to the hospital and working them. We're working them on scene and leaving them. And uh, for good or bad, it's probably hurt the organ donation even further. Well, yeah, and and you know one one thing when I first heard about this story, and you know I I read the stories and and everything, and I, I tried to get you know individual uh, you know confirmation on on certain aspects of it, and, and as it turned out, just tonight I just happened to be in the right place in the right time, and sure enough, here comes the truck. It's like wow, this is like perfect, um, you know. So um, you know. One of the things that I was really concerned about is it, the vehicle really does look like a Fidney ambulance. And it, unless you live and work in New York City, um, or for that matter, unless you work in EMS in New York City, you think that Fidney EMS is 911 for New York City. Um, and that's not really the case. They, they do 65 to 70% of the ambulances in New York City. The other 30% are provided by are, – are basically hospital-based providers. Um, so they're they're not the only ones in the nine one one system. It's not it's not exclusive to Fidney. Um, 
and the effect, the the negative perception of the uh, uh, public for a vehicle like this that is marked just like a Fidney ambulance, and you know, to them, yeah, Fidney is EMS. It, it, it puts everyone in EMS in, in sort of a, 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 a possible, potentially negative light because they turn around and do this. And, you know, originally I, was, I really was not for this. After speaking to uh, the doctor tonight, you know, and he explained, look, the criteria is, like, really strict. And, you know, if you're, you know, 57 or above, you, you're not going to fall into the criteria and, you know, all, all of his requirements and the fact that he does confirm that the patient is deceased um, after speaking to the family specialist and, 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 and then speaking to the EMTs and how it works operationally. And these guys don't know that, you know, okay, you know, I happen to write a blog and, you know, they don't think that I'm a reporter. They know me as, you know, here I am, another EMS provider, curious about what's going on. So they're talking to me as if, yeah, look, here's really what the deal is. I felt a lot better walking away with it. The only thing that still bothers me about it is the paint job. Good point. Well, uh, let's talk about that in a minute. What is everybody else's thoughts on it? I think it's a chance to make uh, the best out of a worst-case scenario, and I, I really think that's part of the direction they're going in. I mean, ethical debate aside, you know, you, you have this deceased person and the potential to to save another life as as a result of this. And and Chris, I think you're right on when you're when you're talking about what you know the the, the pre hospital setting has done to the opportunity for organ donation. And I, I really kind of think that this is a good direction to go in. All right, I'll jump in there. I think it's interesting that um, this shows where a large, very large EMS system is able to, you know, beta test a very unique concept and to see if there's feasibility of it working within, you know, the American system. Um, and as long as it doesn't detract them from what their primary focus is, being a 911 service and uh, it doesn't detract from anything like that. I think it's an interesting, uh, you know, test bed. It will be uh, be fascinating to see what kind of what the success of the program or the outcomes are uh, at the end of the uh, study period or the testing period of this to really see what kind of impact it's uh, it's made. So it will be fascinating from that point of view. But again. As long as it doesn't detract from the primary uh, business of what they're supposed to do, and I don't think one vehicle should, considering the size of the New York City system, I think that uh, it should be uh, interesting. So I'm looking forward to see what happens. Matt or Russell, you guys have any thoughts? I, I agree with uh, with both. I think I think we have that's a unique opportunity to to make the worst or to make the best out of a bad situation. But then again, with all the things that, that we're working on in EMS, trying to, trying to move forward, uh, different protocols and such, it, it seems like that could, it can maybe pull away, pull away some interest from, from working on protocols and, and, and testing things that could, could be saving lives and, and doing the best thing for the patient before we actually get to that point. So I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I think overall it's probably a, a good thing. I think that that uh, like uh, Mr. Toon said, it's as long as it's done done correctly with uh, 
with the primary goal of, of patient care being the first thing on everybody's mind and, and that being a, a second to try to, to salvage something positive from a bad situation. I think that this is really a, a I'm sorry to, to cut in, but you know, this is a bold undertaking. You know, this this says a lot for EMS research in the field. Um, this is probably the most publicly out there piece of EMS research that's that's gone on. And if they can make this one successful, who knows what else we can do from here. Well Yeah, me, I'm in the I'm in the wait and see category. I'm I'm kind of I kind of want to wait and see what happens before I draw any conclusions about it, but it sounds like it sounds like a great idea to make like they said to make a, the best out of a bad situation. But I I kind of want to see what what happens exactly with it before I draw any conclusions on it. Well, I I, I think ahead. this is a good I think it's a good program. Um, yeah, everybody's focusing on the 911 aspects of EMS, and as we all know, uh, we train for really only about 10% of our calls. Uh, yeah, I, th I think we need to, if we're going to survive as a profession in the uh, in the 21st and 22nd century, we need to shift the focus from the emergencies to healthcare in general, and where we fit in as healthcare professionals into the greater healthcare system. Get away from that public safety model and more towards public health model. I think this this program also has an opportunity to help with the bereavement process with the uh, families on scene. You know, something that we're not taught anything in uh, EMT school, paramedic school, whatever school you want to uh, uh, talk about, um, to help that the family with that transition, whether they donate or not. You know, I, I, I think um, it, it takes the burden off of the uh, off of the uh, Providers that are there, it gives some extra hands on on uh, on deck to help out with that process, so that the family feels like they're involved with things. Well, and I like your I like your analogy of making us more like healthcare and less like public safety, because I think that oftentimes we look at it, uh, especially in our industry, as one life. We're going to save one life, or um, whereas with public health, we look at you know solving. Um, solving issues for the greatest good. And this is a way for us to take one person, one tragedy, whatever it is, and turning it into a good. Um, let's think about it. Two kidneys, a liver, a heart. Mm, whoa. Uh, two kidneys, a liver, a heart, uh, corneas. Corneas, long bone, long bones. veins. And they're, there's, I mean, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there that, uh, that can benefit other people. The and impact um, is amazing. yeah, it, it, it it's kind of interesting. I never thought about the impact of the leave on the scene, uh, you know, protocol and philosophy. And obviously, that's a you know, partly it's a, a you know, at that point, it's a it's a uh, fruitless resuscitation. Everything that's been done uh, in the field is exactly what I would do in the emergency department. Uh, so there's there's you know not that benefit. There's a high risk in transporting that person, especially lights and sirens, to the hospital. Um, but it, the, you know, until uh, you guys mentioned it tonight, I never thought about the impact on uh, the uh, ability to um, obtain organs for uh, for a donation. And this is a this is a program that I think will uh, will, will positively impact that. Well, and I think we one of the things that uh. Go ahead, David. Well, uh, 
one one of the things that Jeff had said, I think, uh, regarding the the grieving family, I think is is really one of the the biggest uh, hangups that a lot of people are are going to have with this, um, because if your if your family uh, member is uh, you know uh, deceased, they they didn't indicate anything regarding organ donation, they didn't turn around and you know, uh, sign a card or sign their driver's license. And then you have uh, these people showing up asking, hey, um, you know, can we basically take your loved one and, you know, look at all the benefits for these other people? Um, it, it seems kind of kind of callous and a little cold to their situation. And and the, the you know, grieving family and, and bereavement, um, you know, process, you know, kind of gets uh, – thrown into uh, uh, a hyperdrive uh, for it. I'm, I'm sure at least uh, half of them would, would it would probably be that way. Um, whereas the, the, the other half would probably be able to, to understand the, the actual benefit and, and appreciate that. And that, that is something that we, we're not trained uh, in EMT or paramedic school to, to turn around and do, um, which is why it's important to have the uh, Oregon uh, donor family representative along to to turn around and, and address that very specific point um, and interestingly enough uh, the one that was working the truck tonight is also an EMT so but that's that's definitely an area where, where a lot of people are, are going to turn around and say um, yeah like I understand you could turn around and you know it's all for the greater good and that's great but what about my relative who it didn't benefit you know um, and, and that's that's just part of grieving and and uh, the process thereof. You know the five stages of grieving and so on and so forth. So that's that's definitely the the area where I think a lot of people are, are hung up on. I, I know that for myself personally, that's that's an area where where I get hung up on because I say to myself, you know, would I ever be able to turn around and and you know go to a family member who's grieving and say, you know, do you have their driver's license so I can see if they're an organ donor. Um, if the program ever went any further, as it is, there's not there's not that that process. But if the day came, whereas you know it would rely upon the EMS crew who's just finished a a uh, failed field resuscitation and got the termination to you know go and say okay, uh, the person's under 57 and it wasn't a drug overdose and okay can i see their driver's license so i can find out if they're an organ donor am i going to be able to do that you know and i i honestly question whether or not i would be able to to do that to a grieving family i i don't think you need i don't it's not appropriate to rely on the uh, professionals who were just involved with the resuscitation i mean just to just to give a uh, you know corollary to to my situation i i don't talk with the families about organ donation uh that's done performed by the uh, uh organ donation specialist who uh comes in uh, when we have somebody who is near death expected to die uh we're we're a level one trauma center so we get a lot of referrals especially for uh, for neurologic uh injury uh which is where we where a lot of uh, uh, a lot of the, the cases come from, but that's that's all done by trained professionals who are used to doing that and can uh, work with the family not only from a grieving standpoint but from a, uh, a a procurement standpoint to see if they're amenable to it, and they, at least from seeing the people operate in the limited fashion that that I have. 
Um, you know, they're not they're not pushy. They're very sensitive to to the uh, to the situation, sensitive to the different cultures and cultural views on uh, on death and, and organ procurement and the like. So I, 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 it would be very unfair to put that uh, shoulder that burden with uh, on you on onto the. Uh, EMS professional that is actually performing the resuscitation. That's why I like the the concept of uh, bringing another another unit with the the uh, special team behind uh, the primary unit to uh, help with that process. Right. I I just want to pick apart the article real quick. New York Daily News's article anyway. It says each year more than sixty five hundred people die waiting for an organ transplant. That seems low, but I'm not uh, I'm not here to really bigger with their numbers but they said that um i think i think that's just in new york state okay though. that that makes sense that makes sense and then yeah. it also said that it made it sound like all they're going to go for is your kidneys it, so it's kind of <laughs> you know it's like uh well i i mean that's that's right for the, for the initial program the only thing that they are looking to harvest is is the kidneys oh really okay okay well that yeah. was that's my yeah, mistake that's then okay <laughs> i was i was making fun of them inappropriately so I thought, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no. Okay. For the for, for the actual initial program, the only organ that that they're worried about fitting the the donor criteria for is the kidneys. And you know, again, it's a pilot program. It's it's something different. You know, um, it's definitely, in, in my opinion, out of the box thinking as when it comes to uh, organ donation and, and organ recovery. Um, depending on on how it does, then. You know, it might become a, a, a regular thing, in which case I'm sure that they will turn around and add in all of the other organs that are, you know, readily uh, donatable, such as uh, the liver and the corneas and so on. Very cool. Any last thoughts on this? I know, James, you joined us late. Uh, haven't had a chance to say anything. James Warmouth from Texas. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? Good. We're talking about organ donation and the ambulance that follows. So uh, I know you were able, able to listen to the whole thing, but yeah. uh, did you have any thoughts or comments on it before we move on? Well, I, I don't know. I, I kind of got the idea that some of this was addressed, but you know, ult- ultimately, I think it's a great idea that we have. I think a lot of times that, especially when we're when we're working a code and things like that, that you know, once we call it. And once we say, okay, we're, there's nothing more that we can do, I, I agree with the fact that, you know, uh, a follow-up needs to be made immediately. You know, like, hey, you know, is this patient an organ donor? You know, is, can, is there something we can do to, to maybe get some greater good out of it? I also agree with the fact that that the initial crew who work the code shouldn't be the ones that do it. You know, we're we're already – we're already going to be worked up about the fact that, you know, we've been working this patient, we lost him, and, you know, and in a way we've got an attachment to that. You know, we, we even though we try to kind of avoid it, we have an emotional attachment to that situation. And it's be, I think it's best to have a fresh crew come in who's trained in it and to say, you know, hey, look, I understand, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss, but this is what can come out of this if you, you know, if you let us. And I think that that was kind of the that's been the consensus. And you know, dot. And when Jeff was talking earlier, you know, this may this may change slowly over time. Our idea that we don't work people on the way to the hospital. Maybe we do. Maybe we make that determination on scene. 
Um, because I, I, I would be hard-pressed in my area to have an ambulance that just waits around for, for organ, organ donation. But if we had a clear set of criteria in the field to say, um, maybe in a few years, now I'm not saying tomorrow, but in a few years where we could go, yep, this person meets that. We've already made the determination they're not going to make it. Um, call medical control, consult while you're on scene. And it doesn't have to be anything more elaborate than that and say, we think that this is a good candidate. Let's bring them in with the understanding that we're going to run non-emergent. We're going to do all of the same life-saving things we would normally do. However, um, we will let the hospital and the people that are professionals handle those uh, difficult questions with the patient. And maybe they could be... um, prearranged on a list, not just their driver's license. I know when I'm working a code, it's oftentimes easier just to grab the driver's license to write down their information. So I know in Colorado, we have a little heart on our driver's licenses that show that. So I don't know. It seems like it could be the future of where we're going. I don't know. I think the one thing that we need to be very careful of is to avoid being being seen as the vultures sort of like you said just just kind of like we're here we know that they're about to die and we're here to to harvest their organs that's the only thing i really worry about is is getting the the persona that we're the vultures that kind of come and swoop in and and take care of things after the fact no i yeah i mean it's it's definitely a big part of public perception and mm. you know public perception plays a a big role in uh, a lot of the things that we do and i i think we it's safe to say that you know ems doesn't necessarily have the greatest public perception in a lot of areas and um you know this this could add to that to that detrimental aspect of it well and i i agree with those comments and i i have to say that it has to be it has to be it's incumbent upon us as healthcare professionals to let people know that that's part of the expectation why couldn't that just be something that becomes part of public education and things like that over time you know people we were very successful people know to call 911 now they know that if your loved one is dying or has died that you can still call 911 and maybe they will be able to save lives i don't know i'm just I'm playing devil's advocate because I like that. But I'm saying that it it could happen. So anyway, um, any final thoughts on this? Because we're going to move on to the Audible giveaway. And then we're going to talk about <laughs> the Massimo uh, issue that's come up on a, on a recent listserv. And then maybe any other topics that people want to talk about. So any last thoughts on the hybrid or harvesting organs? The only other thing I can really say about this is is this is quite a testament to the effectiveness of the Lucas device um, in, the, in the pre-hospital setting that they're relying on it this heavily to to maintain circulation uh, in, in this kind of situation and I, I really think that says a lot about the, the effectiveness of that device and, and what it's capable of doing in the pre-hospital setting not willing to go there but uh, I'm willing to say that fair enough it's it's effective it it's as effective as probably the other one. I uh, we have some people out at the uh, cardiac care conference in San Diego this week, and I was just talking to my training captain about it yesterday, and they were talking about the efficacy of both. Um, one of the researchers was talking about the efficacy of both of the current um, well sold models in the United States, and uh, he was saying not so much. So uh, I think time will tell. I I don't think either one can claim we're the victor, but uh, 
hopefully i i think it is more it's more effective than trying to do cpr compressions while riding the gurney i think it's more more effective than that let's put it that way and and why don't we just you know that that's that's a very um good way of putting it i think is is the the well the effectiveness and the mechanical device there you go there you go that's a good one that's, that's a good one. <laughs> perfect that's, <laughs> if that makes you not trying to piss off any sponsors anywhere <laughs> no not at all not at all and that they're, was they're rather they're rather costly so that's the other issue ah that's true they are they are that all right well uh thank you boingo and thank you audible i still have so many of these on my desk audible.com absolutely free audiobook and boingo.com this week's winner was mr i think it's a mr i hope you are sean taylor and i will be sending this out to you right after the show so you want an hour free wireless from boingo and your two free books from audible.com if you have entered before but haven't won continue to email us and tell us how much you like the show um, if you have one, then unfortunately my rule says you can't enter again. So there you go. Um, so you get two free books, audible.com, audible.com, and it has its own um, URL. So I'll send that out to you right after. So if you'd like to be entered next week to do that, please just email us, emails, uh, emsgarage at gmail.com or call. If we have a caller, that'd be great. We really haven't had a caller yet. Also coming up, our first show in January, I'm giving away EMS Monopoly. It's sitting right here in my hands not even opened it's still sealed as much as i want to open it um they have a helicopter ambulance gear bag stretcher zoll e series defibrillator wonder wonder what they paid to put that in there and a sam splint so those can be your your little tokens to run around the board and and what is boardwalk oh boardwalk is gems what do you know <laughs> and EMS manager. Go figure. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Great marketing, guys, and uh, love it. Thanks, AJ Heitman, for sending those out, and Dave Ioni from gems.com. So uh, we had a little bit of a controversy this week, and it came up on the NEMSMA listserv. If you're not a member of NEMSMA, you can, al- you can always be a member of the free listserv. It's the national. It stands for the National EMS Management Association, or Managers Association, you can go either way. And apparently, and and here's where I really want to try and get Tim and Mr. Mike uh, Mc, McEnvoy? McEnvoy? Eh. I, I'm, I think I'm mispronouncing. McEvoy. McEvoy? McEvoy. Ah, okay, McEvoy. Do you guys know him? Yep. Okay. So Mike yep. Ma- McEvoy. Yes, All right. So he's, they were, he was calling into question... Um, something from Tim's post saying that there was probably a problem with the Massimo rad 57 and maybe it's not reading appropriately, um, which there actually has been research, uh, to prove that it's not working well, but one of the best parts, and here's where I think the smackdown occurred was while clearly proprietary, it highlights some of the important points not observed or apparent to the doomsday bloggers who are damning the technology. Ooh, bad. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. There's the throwdown right there. Uh, so, Mike and Tim, I would invite you both on to talk about your points of view. Um, although Mike does point out in the article or in his reply that a he's a consultant for Massimo, and b they're coming out with their white paper. Um, I've read the white paper and I've been privy to it, and I was actually privy to it before um, he put that up. And it's not a study. 
it's not a sanctioned thing, and that's what we talk about on EMS research. But how do you how do you actually make sure that people uh, are saying what they believe? We've 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 seen all of these studies and white papers come out very recently about many things in our industry, but they really don't prove anything. There's not there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of people out there that understand how to read it. They just go, oh, this looks good, and I'll read it, and okay, maybe that makes sense. So, and without with lacking the evidence, we really need to really need to be careful when when companies that own a product or have a have some type of whatever it is are coming out saying ours is the best or um, we're the best model for EMS or whatever the case may be. Sorry, had to throw my two cents in for that one, but uh, we have a lot of that going on in our industry, and it just drives me crazy. So. Anyway, I'm hoping that uh, have you guys had a chance to read this article or read the white paper from Massimo and or the the corresponding research that proved that it may not be as effective? Okay, apparently not. <laughs> I went through. Uh, I, I haven't. I haven't completely gone through the white paper, but I did read Tim's two posts about it and kind of raised an eyebrow. And coming from a system that uses these. Um, and it's 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 more cautionary than anything, pretty much. Um, and I think Tim also follows it up with uh, another article about how to interpret and what to do with, you know, the less than favorable research that's out there. So uh, he he does a good job, and he he makes a really good case to uh, be cautious when using this device. Well, and I think that for us in the field, sometimes something's better than nothing. And lacking some a another piece of equipment, or b true lab results, um, this may be the only thing we can use. Doctor Myers, maybe they got a comment there. Yeah, I was just trying <clears throat> trying to get the uh, the articles and download them. Um, I had seen them a few weeks ago and had them. Uh, set aside to read, and then my USB drive decided to crash. Uh, so there went the article. So I was just uh, decreasing them. I, I haven't, unfortunately, got a chance to get through the you know, the whole thing. I think from an emergency medicine perspective, though, and, and one of the things that, I'm, I, that I really need to read the articles to, to see, uh, but from an emergency medicine perspective, where that tool is being touted as helpful is screening out the people that uh, either don't necessarily need transport to the emergency department if uh, if not symptomatic, um, or helping to triage, um, uh, it kind of kind of very quickly helping to rule out carbon monoxide poisoning as a reason for altered mental status. Um, if it reads high, then you know so what their patient's going to be treated, or if they have symptoms, so what the patient's going to be treated. But where it helps, and where it, we've used it. Prior to any research um, out here, is when you have a, a, a multiple people who are potentially exposed to carbon monoxide, and using it as a screening tool to take those asymptomatic or maybe mildly symptomatic that may or may not be from the actual carbon monoxide, uh, and screening them and, and uh, looking at who uh, who has very low levels. So I think the accuracy on the low end of the scale is probably the more important of the two. Um, again, I need to look at the uh, look at the article and would love to come on when uh, when you get the other uh, uh, the other people on. It's been a few weeks since I read it, and if I remember right, the scatter plot of the data was everywhere. 
um, for the Massimo, which mm. really called into question um, the ability for it to. And, and the unfortunate thing is the sensitivity wasn't there either um, in the low end or the high end. It just it was almost a random number generator at some point. So that scares me a little bit to say that, you know, and we talked about it on, I think it was on the edge or the EMS research podcast. We talked about the fact that there's so many variables that go into that, you know, whether they, you know, the thickness of the skin or, you know, whether their hands are cold or hot or, you know, there, there's so much variability in the way that that's actually reading, um, the level through the skin that maybe that's part of the issue and um, while pulse ox may be a little easier to read and we're and it's really just looking for whatever the the carboxyhemoglobin maybe it's just looking for that I, okay I'll, I'll give it that but um, apparently there were so many problems with the low end reading that that's where it really got concerning for at least the people on the podcast. Again, I'm not a researcher and these guys are way more science geek than me and they were really tearing it apart. So again, one study um, versus a white paper from a company. I think that some of the conclusions that were drawn from it was that we have, um, we have a real need for somebody else to do some more research on this on this issue, and and not only in this one, but in everything else we do. So, well, you know, doesn't uh, Chris, uh, I want to uh, go ahead, Doctor Tune, and then I I missed who else was talking. Okay, I would. You know, I was, as you know, I was in on that, the the podcast where we discussed this on the EMS Research Podcast. And I think that, it, again, it goes back to, I always remind anyone, these are tools that we carry with us in the field. And we have to just cl- truly understand what are the limitations of the tools that we have. And we need to know how to interpret the data appropriately. I always like to draw people back to uh, the accuracy of glucometers. Remember, glucometers have a a percentage range of plus or minus 20%. Hmm. So, but how many people hang their hat on the glucometers that they they carry, even though they know there's that much of a, a, a range that exists within that, but yet people feel very confident to that. Again, it has to be put in perspective of what does your patient look like, what's the history, what's the context that you're using this tool within, and how does it fit into the rest of your assessment. In isolation, the, the sensitivity specificity of this is probably not as high as you would like it to be. but has it opened up a door into a new area of technology how waveforms you know light waveform can be used to make the assessment of this device no different than spo2 and this same company massimo has come out if i believe with a hemoglobin uh capability uh looking at that right now so i i think that it's 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 one published paper it was a hospital based study uh, or an ed based study um and I think that there just needs – there's a lack of information that more information needs to come out about it. Again, all our tools are just that. They help us to reach an informed decision, but they shouldn't be the only thing that we take into consideration when we're um, working with uh, any of our tools that we carry. So I'm not willing to lambast this one company um, – efforts to try to do this just with this one one paper that's coming out and everything. So I think there's there's 
we need to get the people that do the research, preferably some of the bigger facilities, that really can look into this and see where it, it really fits in. Well, I agree with you, Bill. I mean, I guess the part for me that is the most interesting is that um, we will, in our industry, stand behind a product, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, or we'll go to the opposite extreme. And I, um, I just find it very interesting to see that lacking the evidence, let's continue to, I, I, I don't know. I, I just found it interesting that people are getting so polarized on an issue that to me just calls for more research. Just like you said, let's look at it more. I mean, to me, that's, I'm not going to stop using it, um, by any means, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just like the Lucas device or whatever you're carrying. Um, I'm sure there's research on either side that says one's more effective than the other or nothing's more effective. It, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, um, again, I think more research needs to be done. And it shouldn't polarize us. It you should know, just bring us together. You know, I don't know I don't know anything about this device, but but for, from what it's been described, it, it sounds like a great tool. And the key there is it's a tool. The thing that I worry about probably the most with anything is what we talked about in our in our in our and when we did our, our I'm sorry, I can't talk tonight. When we did our our thing on pulse ox, in which you know we talked about companies that have a policy that says if their O2 sat is below this number, you must put them on oxygen. And I, I really worry about this device get, getting into that realm where it's like, well, if their CO2 level isn't above this number, then they don't have to go to the hospital. You know, that's the only thing I really worry about because we're always talking about treating our patients, not our monitors, but a lot of times policies in the company are based on absolute numbers on monitors, which may or may not be accurate. And they're based on information, in this case, from the manufacturer. And again, not to lambaste any manufacturer or any manufacturer in particular, but they'll all tell you that their product is the best. They'll all do what they can to sell you the product because that's what they do. It, it you know, until you, and we've had some of some of these issues with many different devices from a medical director standpoint. And um, sometimes when you ask for the, the the proof and the paper, it doesn't show up. Um, and that that's that's where we need to caution. Uh, Question our leaders to uh, to make decisions based on the evidence, make the the product decisions based on the best evidence available. Other thoughts? Hmm, good enough. As usual, you beat it to death. <laughs> I love beating it to death. Hey, okay. So, uh, any other news or topics from the EMS news affair or blogosphere that we want to talk about this week? And before we call this an episode and throw it in the can. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say something that continues to upset me in the sense of our viewpoint on safety and driving. You know, you cannot open, you know, we talked about the outcry that took place with the number of air medical crashes and all of the emphasis gone there, but I continue to look, whether it be EMS responder or GEMS, and there's almost a daily incident in there about a rather uh, less than desirable ambulance accident, either an ambulance being struck or an ambulance striking someone else. And I just think, when are we going to wake up 
and really put the effort that we need to do into uh, ambulance safety. Uh, and it seems that we really have some issues with um, potentially some issues with our driving. Are we developing our people to be conscientious drivers of the vehicle? And are the vehicles so designed to maximize the safety of the crew members that are using those vehicles and stuff? I think that we need to start um, jumping up and down and screaming because I see more ambulance accidents that make the 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 listservs that we have, but not enough that uh, we really have an accurate database to know how bad it really is. But just just uh, in my very non-scientific way, I'm, I continue to be disturbed by what I read regularly in the paper about ambulance crashes. Well, there is some research in this, but again, it's not a ton. And I think that... Um well, I, what one of our problems as an industry is is we need we need to have some press coverage on it. You know, it's not as glamorous as a helicopter falling out of the air or whatever the case may be. So I don't think it necessarily gets the. Uh, whereas, you know, if a medical hel- helicopter crashes, that could be news over three or four states. If an ambulance crashes, it might hit the. Lo- it'll definitely hit the local news. It may hit the state slash regional news. But beyond that, it's not going to hit much more. Um, you can have your Google Reader set up to to catch capture those events. But I agree with you, Bill. I, you know, I, here's the other thing I got to say about ambulances in general: they got to get smaller. They've got to become more efficient, and we've got to become more efficient as a as a healthcare delivery model. And we've got to stop taking the big thing. We've got to. I think the the people in the UK have a very nice model. They they don't always take an ambulance to every call. They don't always, you know, you don't need to take the biggest piece of equipment to the to the call. And you don't need to take four pieces of equipment to the lady that fell. So, Amen. Uh, boy, <laughs> just, you're going to get me on a rant, aren't you, Bill? <laughs> well, just, just, to, just to toss out the, uh, the whole education thing, um, you know, it, and... Yeah, every accident, it's going to make the local news, but not necessarily the, the regional or, or definitely not the national. But, you know, as EMS agencies, um, we need to turn around and, and own that sort of safety message uh, for ourselves, uh, both, you know, to the manufacturers of the ambulances that we purchase. We're the ones who are purchasing these $75,000, $100,000 vehicles. So if there's something that we want to see safer, uh, we need to say with, with the checkbook to uh, the manufacturers. We need to be able to, you know, adequately train our own employees to, to act and behave in a, in a culture of safety. You know, um, unfortunately, uh, with budget constraints and, and time constraints, that's really hard to do, really, really pressing. And then the third thing we really need to do is turn around and educate the public. You know what? Our jobs are not the safest, and sometimes, uh, you know, the public represents a greater risk to us. Um, Patrick, uh, who's uh, on Twitter, he's 510 Medic, he sent me, I, I just dropped the link in the, the chat, um, that... Uh, it's a public service announcement campaign um, called Put Yourself in Our Boots. It's actually originated in Canada, and they actually have uh, radio PSAs and video PSAs. I really wish that uh, you know, they would turn around and sit up and create 
I will put it all over in the future. I'm pretty sure that that there is a version of it up on YouTube, so I still might do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they they created these promos. There's one specific for EMS. Whereas if we were able to turn around and get our our media, our local media, our regional media, our national media to say, hey, listen, here's a PSA. Why don't you run it? You know, to help educate the public. But um, again, this this is a Canadian foundation. It, it's got a whole big backstory, which is, you know, it's it's you know another uh, movement that we're trying um, something that we need to do. The, the major thing we need to do as provide because if we don't do that, they have no one to blame for safety. Is he breaking out for everybody else, or is it just me? No, no I, I, I thought it was me. <laughs> okay, me too. All right, hey, David, you broke out on the little bit of that last end. But, you know, here we were just talking about this in the chat room while you were talking, is our agency responds 20, uh, emergent, responds 911 emergent less than 20% of the time. We just ran the number. It was 21% last month. Um, and we've been doing it for almost five years. How many adverse out- outcomes have we had? You ready? Zero. <laughs> and but the medics determine the response and it's based on dispatch criteria. And you know, it doesn't this emergent non-emergent thing we've got to we've got to figure out too because you know, if I had to redesign ambulances again, we would make them smaller with yellow lights just to turn on when you get to the scene. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's my that's my personal pet peeve. <laughs> you you got to you got to take the big F450 to to take the 100 pound lady to the hospital. You just have to. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm taking exactly. the uh, 300 pound uh, patient to the hospital. Yeah, well, they've been doing it in the well, and when you said uh by taking our checkbooks and using them with the manufacturers, we've done that. Um our most recent purchase is coming. It's a European Sprinter um, that's imported from Germany, coming to Canada and reassembled in Canada, and we're we're taking delivery of it in a few months. And can I tell you that the local manufacturer that we've used for over 15 years is pissed? And we told them, we told them last ambulance we ordered, we said, if you guys don't figure out these spe- safety specifications, we're not buying from you again. Well, our checkbook walked and. And we're telling them. And guess who? Guess who now will have the, one of the first European designed ambulances in Colorado? Well, we will. And we're going to start showing that thing around. And until the ambulance manufacturers get it, um, it's going to be. Boy, I don't know. Uh, I think that's. But that's only a piece of the equation. It's the emergent. It's the non-emergent. It's ambulance driving. It's. It's expectations of the community. Do we have to be there in six minutes or less? No. Anyway. Other thoughts? No other thoughts. Well, I just think it would be nice. I just think it would be nice if we find a way to put the appropriate um, emphasis on, as you said, developing the culture of safety around uh, around driving. And uh, there's no question it's going to be a multifaceted approach to it. But I just wish people would get really mad at about what we're seeing that's taking place and. Um, it's the unnecessary uh, effects that it's having. 
it's not just mad it's it's scary too i mean you know there's there's been a lot i i was thinking about this today because i just saw yet another accident article about the one in uh indiana i think it was either yesterday or today i saw it pop up on the gems connect um that killed yet another provider and it's it's scary and and you know you're exactly right we do have a really long way to go here and um it's a matter of taking the first steps which i feel are are safety standards for the ambulance too it's you know it, it safety standards for the drivers and safety standards for the ambulance that are geared at protecting the providers and protecting the patients <clears throat> new york's got a uh, policy statement that they're it may even be on on the website already released, but uh, this has been talked about for the last uh, several months. Um, for providers in the back, uh, policy that delineates the things that we should or should not be doing uh, in the back of the ambulance, and there's a there's a very very short list. I don't have access to it right now, but extremely short list of of the types of procedures and things uh, that are appropriate in some instances to do uh, while the ambulance is in motion. Uh, again, very, very short listening, and this is aimed at uh, safety of the providers in the back or essentially missiles if that uh, bus ever stops. I will be disappointed to hear if they allow CPR manual CPR to be one of those acceptable things. No, I actually, I believe that's not. Although, let me check now and see if it's up on the uh, web. But that I know is not. And the only reason I would say that is just think about it, doing manual CPR, taking someone to the hospital. The only person that is safely secured is the one that's already dead. <laughs> oh, and, and, and the one that has the most potential to kill everybody in the ambulance, who's the one with the, with the right foot on the accelerator. So the, those two people Absolutely. are the most secure in the ambulance. Yeah. But. Does this put us back in a position we were in years ago in which it was put the patient in the back and then both people get up front and drive to the hospital? You know, I mean, I understand that there's someone in the back, but I guess the whole point is is that there's someone back there to to render care and you're getting to a point where we're providing – less care during the transport and while I realize it is safer, are, are we regressing a little bit with regards to our patient care? No, because here. No, we need no. to evolve. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we, yeah, and as as Chris has said, the some of the some of the uh, um, European designs and the ambulances place the uh, you know get rid of the bench and place the seat in a position that it's facing forward, so you're secure when you're strapped in with a four point harness, and you're still able to to do things with the patient and treat the patient, but you're secured and you're, and you're not on a, on a harness where you're a, uh, a bungee cord that's waiting to, uh, to bounce around the inside of the ambulance. You're actually sitting and, and secured. I mean, just as, just as some, you know, one example of, uh, of some of the engineering safety that, uh, that can be put in. I mean, if you look at the way ambulances are made now, they're the same way that they were made back in 75 when the first box ambulances came out. You know, the first van ambulances came. We out. need to stop. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, we, we just we need to Cadillac. we need to stop adapt. Yeah, I know, huh? We need we need to stop adapting our treatment modalities to the trucks and start adapting the trucks to our treatment modalities. Is what it comes down to. Yep. Well, and we also need to change start, the office. Well, turn the job. 
we're, remember, we're the I have always, I always say this. We're the last one of the last two. There's only two now. One of the last healthcare industry or healthcare providers that takes care to the patient's bedside in their home. And we have to remember that we can do that. You know, I don't, uh, James, I don't think that any of us are saying to, to regress back where we're both hopping in the front with the patient in the back. I think we've come so far as an industry that we need to start focusing on what's killing us. And, you know, we need to start focusing on better protocols to, you know, ma'am, you probably, it's probably okay if you go in your private vehicle to the hospital. In fact, you'll probably get better care and there's no reason for you to go in the ambulance. Uh, there's also things that we could be doing in the home and then releasing the patient, things like that. So eh, enough said on the topic because we've got a lot. I'm sure that's a whole podcast and 28 million of them. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Um, so I noticed that David dropped off. So I will, I will exit him first. David Koenig of the great emsblogs.com network and he's doing some great work over there. Thanks, David, for joining us. Hi, I don't know if Russell's here or if he's back from his call. Are you here? Russell the Hybrid Medic on Twitter and I'm sure on Facebook. Oh, David's back, so I'm going to let him come on and, and do his own plug. Uh, James Warmoth, where can people find you, sir? They can find me at yellowrubberducky.squarespace.com And did you... Um, you going to announce your thing yet or no? I'm still working on it. I've got uh, I'm kicking around some ideas. My big thing is I'm I'm trying to find some some people to help me out with it and I haven't quite got enough going to to really push forward. I'm hoping I'm hoping January 1st if everything goes well. I'm just having a hard time getting started. Gotcha. Understandable. Very understandable. Uh, well, thank you for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. Sorry we missed you at the beginning, but um, next time I'll be more diligent to see when you come on. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, there's a lot going on here, a lot going on here, especially with vocal. Um, Dr. Myers, where can people find you? Besides in front uh, of your Christmas tree. can be found on the web. <clears throat> yes, right beside my Christmas tree. Um, on the web at uh, www.photoemsdoc.com. That's P-H-O-T-O-E-M-S-D-O-C.com. Also on Facebook. Very cool. And Dr. Toon, where can people find you? Well, you can f certainly find me on uh, Twitter, at WFToon on Twitter. And you can also find me on Facebook. But uh, go to the EMS Educast Facebook page and hunt me down there and uh, leave a post. And if you're not listening to us, please come listen to us. We're different than the garage. Not better. I like that you didn't say better. <laughs> I said different. I, I didn't. Know. There you go. Uh, you have you have Greg Freeze, who's awesome. That's we, right. We love Greg. Be way we way we quiet. We're hunting Williams on the Facebook page. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on tonight, Doc. Uh, Matt Fultz, where can people find you and your new podcast? Don't forget to plug it. Yes, I am on Twitter at MD Fultz Medic. I also have a blog that I've been working on occasionally, uh, theimedic.blogspot.com. And yes, we are uh, recording our first podcast next week. Have some great names lined up uh, to come on that show. Um, it's going to be called Standing Orders, EMS Standing Orders. Um, and you can find that at 
www.emsstandingorders.com or on Twitter at Standing Orders. So it's all coming together nicely and looking forward to getting started here. I'm very excited about it. I got to tell you, I'm, uh, and it's going to be on the EMS radio network and I'm so excited. Doctors talking about EMS stuff. I love it. And uh, make sure that you, you go you goad them into talking about things, which I'm sure is not very hard. Yeah, I, it seems like there's uh, lots of subject matter we can cover. Everybody's got some ideas on stuff, so oh, yeah. I don't think that'll be a problem. Right on. Well, thanks for coming on. And Thank also, you. Also joining us, uh, and thanks for coming on, Scott Keir. How are you? Or uh, I, gosh, I'm doing the re- I'm doing the show intro <laughs> what, again. What time you, is no, it? No, dude. Can I'm just flash back. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, first, I'm trying to add David Coney again. Watching vocal. Anyway, so Scott Keir, where could people find you? <laughs> Besides driving, you can me find crazy. me on Twitter. Exactly right. You can find me on Twitter at MedicSBK, and my blog is uh, 2010EMS.blogs. Did you drop out too, Scott? Somehow, hold on. Somehow, I clicked my uh, my mute button. Oh. If I could just mention real quick, uh, this past weekend, my my parents were uh, honored by the town that I grew up in, Island Heights, New Jersey, for their twenty plus years of volunteer EMS service to the town. So, uh, way to go for them. That's uh, it's a great thing. For them. They're both very very happy, and I'm very proud of them. Congratulations, Kears. Good job. Yes. Right on. Well, thank you very much. And boy, the unsung hero of the uh, uh, volunteer EMS agencies in the United States. Oh, man. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, They give thousands of hours every year in the United States. Hundreds of thousands, probably. So uh, thanks for for coming on. Uh, Russell, are you back or are you still responding to the fall? Not I am back. Oh, you are back. All right. So tell us yes. where people can just, find you. Just got back. Very cool. Well, you're perfect. You're, <laughs> you're in time to leave. That's good. So where can people find you? Yes. I, I, uh, I am at uh, hybridmedic.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at hybridmedic. And uh, on the blog, I also have uh, my own little podcast going, uh, The Apparatus Floor. Uh, I think we're on episode like 14 or 15, so... That's where people can find me and listen to me and assorted other characters like Scott and Matt rant in the same fashion that uh, that we do on here. Very cool. Well, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get David Koenig on, so join him on EMS, the EMS Blogs Network. Just Google EMS Blogs if you're unfamiliar with that. I'm Chris Montero, the Geeky Medic. You can find me on all the websites. I've been noticeably silent on Twitter recently and Facebook. I'm just taking a break. It's too much. It's too much to do. Plus, I've got uh, about four other irons in the fire at work. So, But you can find me, Geeky Medic, on Twitter and Facebook. I just hit a 1,000 followers on both Facebook and Twitter, which I'm pretty happy about. So thank you all for following me. Uh, please recommend us to all of your friends. Go to the EMS Radio Network page on Facebook and like us there, and you'll find information about every show that we do ems research the new ems uh, standing orders podcast the um the educast the leadership podcast which chris uh, cerebello is doing 
Sabalero, sorry. I always mispronounce his name. And uh, a few of the other fine folks will be coming up soon. We're also still trying to work on this video thing. And uh, trust us, it'll it'll get it'll get going after after the beginning of the year. It's just been kind of crazy for both Jamie and I. Uh, I haven't seen Jamie in a while, so I think he's taking a little break too. So thanks for joining us. Join us next time when we talk more about issues that concern you. Hi, this is Lee Roach, the first winner of the Audible Boingo giveaway. I just wanted to stop in, say hi to the garage, and thanks for the giveaway and the great podcast. I also want to note that Chris got my name right the very first time. For those of you that still think there are strings attached to the Audible giveaway, I can assure you I've used it and I haven't found any. Anyway, thanks to everybody at the garage for a great podcast. Thanks and keep up the great work.